Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast coming at you from my home here in Toronto. Uh, I am your host, Ginger, a man with the green twinkle in his eye. I don't know how to describe myself. i got to find new words. I am Who knows? loving it. It's great. Who knows? Uh, I'm Mackenzie, and I am joined once again by the Lady of Muskoka, the John Adams, as it were, of Canadian theatre, the the, the B. Arthur of Canada, Autumn Smith. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. And we are joined once again by our most frequent guest of, of our podcast. I would say, Autumn, I would say she is our Benjamin Franklin. Uh, of of, of our trio. Ms. Lynn Slotkin. Hello, Lynn. Hi, how are you, Mackenzie and Autumn? Hi, Lynn. Hello. Glad to be here. Now, we made some historical references with what musical we are doing today, but in case you haven't picked up on our clues, we are doing what today, Autumn? What show are we covering today? We are doing 1776. historical musical that nobody thought was a good idea mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah and we will get into that history but yes that is what we are covering today we're diving back into the history books for our second season because first season we covered the titanic in that historical event this season we're covering the signing of the declaration of independence we're actually yeah. really exactly and we've actually rejigged our schedule so this will actually come out right around uh, Independence Day slash Canada Day. Autumn, I chose this show. You this did. Was, this was not one of your choosing. <laughs> no. no. I'm glad you chose it. I, I yes. had no idea about this uh, mm-hmm. musical until you said we are doing this musical. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. I'm in, and I'm really glad you chose this musical. It's very timely. It's very important right now. It is. So the reason why I chose this sucker uh, is because after doing Titanic, Eve reignited my interest in it, because I had purchased this on the album on iTunes when I had bought Titanic, because I was like, oh, same guy, okay. I like the music of Titanic. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll add another Peter Stone album to my collection and so i did that and i listened to it a few times i kind of just let it go i was like okay great heard it it didn't really make an impact but then mm. i went back and revisited it because because you mentioned that he had because you reminded me that peter stone had written 1776 if you actually go listen to our um titanic episode last season we actually you bring it up and you, and you actually can hear me tell you we're, we're adding that to our list so there mm-hmm. we go, Autumn. It was thanks to you that this got brought back. <laughs> so, that's, so that's the reason why this came up was because Autumn re-inspired my interest. But I, I re-fell in love with it again because of its historical context. Because as you know, I am a big history buff. I love history, whether it's Russian, American. I love reading about it because I think there's so much good stuff you can get out of those history books 
and provide great fodder for theater. So for anybody who doesn't know what 1776 is about, because, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the most popular historical musical of, of, of our musical theater canon. No, uh, there are others. Yeah, well, Hamilton does now kind of take it, take it, take, take 1776 place, which I think shouldn't happen, but hey, that's just me. Um, either way, the show is based on the, the events leading up to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's centered around uh, the efforts of John Adams uh, and, his, and, and his crusade to basically get independence through Congress. And that is basically what this whole story is about. It starts with him kind of saying that it's never going to happen. And, he's, and, he ha- and he has to fight every step of the way to get this independence created um, and signed. And, and the play musical ultimately ends with uh, him signing um, the declaration with everybody else as, as, the, as the Liberty Bell tolls. Yeah, and that is it. That that is that is the. It's one of the most basic premises you ever could have for a show. This one historical event, and we're going to deep dive into this moment of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, Autumn, why don't you? Ki- yeah. Oh, it's such a it's such yeah. a great. You would you would think that people would be more on board, especially in America, where they're all about toting their patriotism. That that if somebody came to you and said, "I have a musical about the signing of." Of, 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 of the Declaration of Independence, that that would be like people would be lining up to produce that show. Not the case, uh, but I, no. I think they it's it's too it's too clever for the masses. Mm. Like they want the Schoolhouse Rock's version of the signing of Independence, right? Right too. Yes, <laughs> but it's like short. And it makes them look good, yes. and there's no debate in it. Um, right. It doesn't show the the uh, bad parts. True. This, this at least hints at some of the bad parts. Unfortunately, because Congress is secret, uh, that uh, doesn't that means we have no real records of what actually happened in these meetings leading up to the signing of uh, of the Declaration. Yeah. So, so, so Peterson had a lot of free reign, as it were, to fiddle with that. We will talk about some of the historical inaccuracies of the show because there are a few. Yes, there, there are. are there, 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 there are a few. But mind you, that's with any piece of historical work that's done on film or television or or on stage. If if you want a perfect historical reaccounting of like of an event, go watch a documentary. R- read the biography. Like, Exactly. Read the biography. When you're adapting things for for, for a visual medium, you do have to make adaptions sometimes. So, Lynn, why don't you tell us, how are you back on this episode? What brought you back to us for your, uh, what's going to be your third appearance on our second season of Before the Downbeat? 1776, fantastic musical, which I've seen, which I've seen. Lucky. Yeah, I know. And uh, I had a lovely experience with those wonderful people, which I'll tell you about later. Autumn, why don't don't you give us uh, your rundown of the production team? Because we have one carryover person and the rest is all new. The rest are all new. And I haven't read these notes in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Lovely. 
Um, so the, the 1776 was the brainchild of one Sherman Edwards. Uh, mm -hmm. Sherman was an American songwriter, best known for this musical and the film based on it. Um, born in New York City, uh, he attended NYU, where he majored in not music, but history. Uh, and throughout, throughout his time at NYU, he moonlighted uh, playing jazz piano for late night radio, uh, radio and music shows. Mm. He went off to serve in World War II and then taught high school history for a brief period. I love that. I love mm -hmm. artists who are also teachers. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? I pass mm -hmm. it on. Yes. Pass on, pass all, all the things on. Um, so he was also still working as a pianist and then played with some of the most famous swing bands and artists, including Louis Armstrong, Tommy Dorsey, and one Benny Goodman. Mm -hmm. So, um, he uh, spent a few years as a band leader and arranger for the artist Mindy Carson. And then he Ooh. started, uh, writing pop songs at the famous Brill Building, um, with writers like Hal David, Burt Backrack, uh, and Sid Wayne. He turned out numerous hits in the 1950s and 60s, uh, and he was writing songs at that time for Elvis Presley, including one called Flaming Star. Now, I don't know this song, but I'm, it's Elvis. I'm sure it was a big hit. Yes. Um, he said working with uh, Presley's manager proved... Uh, to be Edward's impetus to leave the pop rock. <laughs> Colonel Parker. What's that? Is this Colonel Parker? Yeah, the Colonel. The um, Colonel Parker, yes, the famous Colonel Parker, yep. That's him. So he was forced to make huge monetary concessions in order to have um, his songs uh, recorded by great artists. What's that? Oh. Presley's songwriters were forced to make huge monetary concessions in order to have their songs recorded by the one and only king of, of rock and roll, the hip shaker. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh, uh -huh. He, uh, according to a collaborator, Earl Schumann, while collaborating with Edwards, um, Edwards left mid-song one day, saying something to the effect that he just wasn't into rock anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And, Sometimes that's what happens. You just have this epiphany. Before 1776, he had written the incidental music for a stage comedy called A Mighty Man. It was not popular on Broadway, coincidentally. Uh, it only played five performances. Then he combined his loves and he went mm -hmm. and he wrote 1776. Then we have our return uh, uh, gentleman, Peter Heston our book writer extraordinaire that we chatted mm -hmm. about in that other musical. <laughs> this is a far superior musical for Mr. Stone. And actually, I would, we talked about this a little bit. It's kind of a, a play with music. Mm, I would definitely agree with that point of view. You know, in our traditional vernacular of what a mm. musical is mm -hmm. it only mm -hmm. how many songs does it have like about 13 13 yeah 15? 14 something it's not yeah, hold on I'll, I'll pull up the album i'll tell you the exact number but, the but it's book, really small 
Yeah. The book is extraordinary on this musical. So I, yes. for me, it, it, this, is, this is Stone at the height of his artistry. It really mm -hmm. is a phenomenal book. Yes. I have to say. Agreed. Um, so Stone, as you may remember, or may not have listened to Titanic, because it was just a lot of me being grumpy. Um, <laughs> was best you were the iceberg of that episode. I was the iceberg. Proudly. <laughs> he was, he was an um, American screenwriter and playwright. He mm -hmm. uh, is probably best remembered for these musicals, but also for his success with the films Charade, Father Goose, and Mirage. Charade being Sarah's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> now she's going back on it. Now she's like, well, well. She's made me watch it, and she keeps saying we need to watch it again. <laughs> anyway, um, Stone also worked on a musical adaptation of Woman of the Year starring Lauren Bacall and wrote My One and Only with Tommy Toon and Twiggy. Then he doctored the book for the musical Grand Hotel. And finally, ah. the, la the latest um, item that I have in his bio was that he wrote the book for Will Rogers' Follies next. The director was Peter Hunt. Uh, Peter Hunt <laughs> was born in Pasadena, California. Um, he did his BA at Hotchkiss School and then went on to Yale University where he um, was in the Yale School of Drama in 1963. <clears throat> mm -hmm. He began his career as a lighting designer, I love that. I love someone that can diversify their portfolio that way. It shows that oh, this person might actually be able to speak to technicians and be kind. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Isn't that nice? Mm -hmm. um, he began as a lighting designer at Williamstown Festival. Uh, then he became their artistic director in 1989, a post that he held until 1995. Um, he had a very active career on Broadway. Uh, he helmed the musical 1776. Uh, his next project was Georgie. Uh, then he went on to do Good Time Charlie and The Scarlet Pimpernel. He also directed Actors Fund Benefits in Los Angeles, um, stage readings of Sunset Boulevard and Casablanca. Uh, he uh, has some film credits and television credits which you may oh. remember from the first time we did this episode. Uh, he did 1776, uh, Give Him Hell, Harry. And he directed um, Heart to Heart series, the Heart to Heart series. I don't know, Mac, do you remember the Heart to Heart series? No. no. Okay, it's pretty good. Uh, Dead Man's Island. And of course, he did episodes of Baywatch. Baywatch <laughs> Night and Touched by an Angel. What a combo. What a combo. Uh, fun fact about uh, director Peter Hunt, he is the uncle of one Helen Hunt. That's ah, there we go. Hollywood royalty right there. Ah, uh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. That's them. That's it. Okay, so everybody light your cigarettes because we got some production history to get through. Three pages worth of production history. Exactly. Light them up. 
So Sherman Edwards, um, he is the one who started this whole project uh, because of his love of history. And he, and he chose the, dec- the signing of the Declaration of Independence as his historical event he thought would make a good show. So he originally uh, wrote the book and the music and the lyrics for the entire show. He did it all. Uh, so, however, when Edwards would go and audition for like musical producers, uh, he would play the songs that he wrote, and then and after that, the producers would throw him out, saying, "This is a stupid idea. It won't sell. It won't fly on Broadway. It's a boring concept. Get out of our office." Uh, however, there is one smart producer of this whole bunch that is Stuart Ostro, and he picked it up, uh, but he was concerned that Edward's bio just wasn't fascinating enough to really sell the show until he found out that Edward's had been a history teacher. And thus he doctored the headline of history teacher writes musical about the Declaration of Independence. And the minute that happened, everybody now gave backing to the show. They were able to get money for it. People were all, uh, were all on board for this concept of an educator writing a show. Like that just for some reason sparked with people. And so Ostro uh, felt that while Edwards was off to a good start with, his, with this project, he needed a partner needed, and needed help. So he brought in Peter Stone to rewrite it. Uh, Stone, however, was originally hesitant to work with Edwards. And but, but the minute Edwards played him the opening number of Sit Down, John, uh, Stone realized this wasn't just a boring history teacher show. It was, there actually was, some meat in here that you could really kind of dive into because it was about a musical about real men fighting to build a country. So there was some real drama in there that they could get into and write about. So Stone uh, uh, did two things right off the bat to help clarify the story. One was he had a large uh, calendar added added to the set so audiences could see the uh, days leading up to what all the audience knows as the Independence Day of July the 4th. So it built that... Calendar, though. Like, Pardon? having that calendar there, it's like a pressure cooker. You're like, oh my god, are they right? done? Exactly. Exactly. So that's what... It's, it's, it's a smart writing tactic where, where just having a calendar gives you this bigger sense of dread and optimism, because you know where the story's going, but it's that thing of... Cal- like, 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 how are they going to do that? When all the South walks out, how are they going to get this done in time? Like, we're down to the last few days. It's great. Uh, and then the other big thing was adding the tally board. So if you watch the original production, the tally board was this big wooden board that had all the names of the different states in the center. And if you slid them to the right, it was a no. And if you slid them to the left, it was a yay. And this was created to help the audience keep track of who was standing where at any given time in the show. Because as they were reading it, they were finding people could get really easily confused of trying to remember who was standing for which delegation and all that type of stuff. So it was a smart writing tactic to try and simplify and clarify the story for the audience. Where if you looked up at the board, you went, oh, South Carolina, they're against this. They're not sliding over yet. Okay, they gotta win them. Yes, forever to the right. Forever to the we'll, right. But we'll it's get interesting. Into like, yeah, because it it really it really was the language uh, yeah. where the language was, you know, 
established of right and left in politics, yes. right? Correct. Except um, that was that was one of the apocryphal situations because they didn't have that then. No, exactly. That was added. That the, the, it wasn't actually part of history. The calendar and the tally were not in the actual Congress at the time. Mm. That was an audience device, but it totally works. Mm -hmm. But it's but they're both subtle. Like it's not like a yes. slap in the face. Mm -hmm. No, never. You know, like that was very clever. Yes. Very clever writing. Exactly. Like the idea of distinguishing left and right, and yes. Oh, so smart. It's yeah. so so smart and. Uh, and the other big red thing was finding a way to get a female presence in the show. So, 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 so Peter Stone and Edwards both knew that John Adams and Abba the Adams were big writers to each other. Like they wrote almost every day, like I, 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 almost like a daily telephone call. And the and the letters did survive because 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 um, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Adams kept them. Like she kept all the letters and she saved them. So they could be so they, so they were able to reference those, and that's how they were able to get a, a female presence. Was adding in um, Abigail Adams into the story was by having uh, having these conversations between Mr. and Mrs. Adams, um, and then and then they also added in Martha um, Martha Jefferson because that was another bit of plot that one didn't work as well. We'll get into that, but th those are the two female figures they added because they because they felt they needed some female presence in this very testosterone based musical um so they did that uh the other big thing was that peter stone experimented and struggled with finding a song to go between the lees of old virginia and but mr adams and when they couldn't figure that out it ended up that they created the longest point in a musical which is 45 minutes where there is not a single note played in the entire section and that led to the scene being dubbed the big three and 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 backstage cast members and musicians were allowed to leave the pit and go off and have a break it was the first time in broadway history that was ever permitted in the middle of a show hilarious yep drama with music uh, drama with music right totally it, and that it totally is. I mean, look at. I mean, I mean, I remember. I, I remember watching the movie, uh, and then thinking after like the Lisa Old Virginia, I was like, we actually haven't had a song in a really long time. Like, what is going on? And 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 then but then I got so enraptured in, in the debate that's being held between Pennsylvania and Mr. Adams, and the fact that it ends with a cane fight with these walking sticks it was fantastic. Once they were in the middle of writing, uh, Ostro, the producer, had to go out and find a director. So they first turned to Jerome Robbins to direct the piece. And he said, no, I'm a dance guy. <laughs> I, I'm not your guy for this. Thank but, God. But he recommended Peter Hunt to do it because six months earlier, he had worked with him at Lincoln Center. And Hunt had directed a musical about the Booth family, as in John Wilkes Booth. Oh, my lanta. So he had, so, so because of that, they were like, oh, perfect. Like, this guy does historical musicals and does, and does history-based things. We can work with that. However, yeah. how, however, they did have him audition. And, and, and so what they do is they had Hunt 
sit down with uh, Peter Stone and, and um, work on rewriting Act 1 and Act 2, so refining it. And after they were done uh, presenting their work to Ostro, uh, Ostro said, thanks, uh, we'll get back to you. And then uh, Hunt went home to his apartment, feeling like he had just been had, he wasn't happy. He poured himself several scotches before lying on the, down on the, on, on the couch in the living room. And then he got a phone call from Ostra saying, we're at Sardi's, come join us. We're celebrating the fact that you're now our director. And Hunt hung up the phone. And then, and then he realized, I can't go. So he called him back saying, I'm too drunk. I can't move. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> oh, God. That's such a wanky move. Ah, well, if it's a new That's show. A and, move. That's well, don't forget. Well, don't forget, Peter Stone wasn't, a, wasn't an established director. So you want to know what he can do yeah, before yeah. you give him the big reins of a Broadway show. But he so so, so you, got, you got to interview and test for him. But he came highly recommended from another brilliant director. Like, yeah, but just because you're highly recommended doesn't, doesn't mean you shouldn't have some type of vetting process. I mean, even directors who want to work for Marvel, they have to go in and pitch to Kevin Feige, their concept for Captain America. Just like you did... Just like you had to go pitch for Hard House. Writing, rewriting. Do you know how much work that takes? Oh, lots, lots yeah. of work. Lots, lots of work went into that, which is probably why he felt dejected after being told, "Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later." Yeah. Just tell me stuff. Which I don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so here we go. So now we're up to casting. So when it came to casting, Ostro's first choice. What, for John Adams was stage and screen actor William Daniels. He's a wonderful actor. He was fantastic. He is. Yeah, he, he's really a wonderful is. actor. He, he's a beautiful man. I mean, I grew up knowing him as Mr. Feeney in um, in um, the TV show Boy Meets World, where, where, oh, yeah. where he played the teacher. Mm -hmm. Of course. And he was he's like the teacher. He's he very is. distinct, and he's he's uh, he's distinguished. He's yeah. mm -hmm. uh, fastidious. He's courtly. Mm -hmm. He's yes. a wonderful, wonderful actor. He's not the greatest singer, but I don't think that's what they were going for. No. You know, there no. were a lot of actors in that, wonderful actors first, yeah. who maybe, mm -hmm. maybe could sing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the singing was not that important, at least for the men. Uh, and he was offered the part. He that didn't, at the time though, he didn't think it was uh, a good time to do a musical about this type of history because of the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. But his wife, Bonnie Bartlett, encouraged oh. him to do it uh, because, she, because she felt he was uh, like a perfect fit for the role of John Adams. Uh, and so uh, Daniels went to the 46th Street Theater, now the, now the Richard Rogers Theater, where Hamilton is normally performed, to audition for everybody. However, the door was locked and thinking they had already left, he was about to get on a bus, but Daniels felt he should call his agent and just at least say, hey, I went and I missed them. Sorry. And at that very moment, when he talks to his agent, she said to him, for God's sake, where are you? They're waiting for you at the Ziegfeld Theater. Take a cab and I'll pay for it. So sure enough, Daniels hopped into a cab. He went over and he sang the song, Wait Till We're 65 from the musical, um, from the musical on a clear day you can see forever mm. so he sang that for them and right away they were like you're good you're you're in the part mm -hmm. uh next they cast 
for the role of Thomas Jefferson, they cast future Screen Guild actor President Ken Howard. Howard, at the time, uh, uh, was a student at Yale um, School of Drama who had left to make his Broadway debut in Promises, Promises, which is a musical we will talk about at some point. Then, uh, for the role of Benjamin Franklin, they went after Howard Da Silva. Um, however, Sherman Edwards had also promised him that he would direct the musical. Da Silva thought 17th was his project to direct, and he became very angry when he found he was just going to be playing Benjamin Franklin mm. and not also directing mm. uh, the piece. Uh, and he was particularly angry because Peter Hunt was not an established director. He, and, he, and, he, and he was saying, I was, uh, he kept saying, I'm not going to work for a 28-year-old kid who was just lighting shows on Broadway. Uh, and ultimately, they had to do some finagling to kind of get him to become part of the show. But they did. They got him. Howard Silva became Benjamin Franklin. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, a 21-year-old future Broadway belter, Ms. Betty Lynn Buckley, got off her bus from Texas. And she walked right into the audition room and auditioned for them. And she changed Broadway belting forever by belting that high D in the middle of um, he plays the violin. However, during her audition, she, she didn't realize the word was bows. She thought it was bows. So, so during her audition, she, she would be singing, and he bows, and he bows. And they actually had to stop and correct her saying, no, dear, it's bows. And he bows. <laughs> so there we go. But she was cast pretty much right off the bus from Texas at the, at the, at the age of 21 to become God a Broadway superstar. God belting voice, eh? I know. I know. I know. And if you want to hear our full opinions on Betty Buckley, please go listen to our Patreon page as we debate her and her, and her connection to Sarah Brightman. So there you go. That is going to be a deleted yeah, sequence from the, from this ep- <laughs> from this episode that you'll have to go check out because it is a hoot and a half to listen to. Uh, so the show headed to out of town tryouts in New Haven, Connecticut. However, there was a huge sto- snowstorm which delayed all of the critics from attending until one uh, show before the final performance. Wow! So they were basically. So they basically locked out until almost the very end of that run. Uh, there was an entire section from the show that was chopped, and that is the sequence where Franklin Jefferson, or sorry, Franklin Adams and Mary, and the man from Maryland head out to New Brunswick to meet a bunch of um, Continental soldiers around a campfire. It was then followed by a scene in a tavern where, where um, Ben, uh, ben Franklin gets to sing a song with a prostitute called Booze Land. Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 John, and John Adams even had a moment with a soldier uh, where they hadn't eaten in a few weeks uh, and they weren't capable of fighting the British. And then there were ducks flying over them and the soldiers got the rifles and fired into the sky. And all the ducks fell to the ground on stage. Like they were, they would fall from the, from the flies and they just right there on stage. Um, I would love to and then jo- a, 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 yeah, Exactly. And then John Adams would then go down to the front of the stage and have a speech all about King George and that they have the firepower and that they were coming to get him, which ended act one. 
However, they felt the whole sequence in New Brunswick was just a tangent, and that could be told very quickly in a few lines. Uh, so they cut that whole sequence because it also threw balance because it also threw the balance of the show off as well because it takes you away from Congress and into this random side story. Uh, so, but mind you, watching the movie, the minute they announced they were going to New Brunswick, my brain automatically went, okay, so we're going to follow them because we followed John Adams the whole time to, like, uh, uh, throughout the story. So we're actually going to go see what, what goes on in New Brunswick. And nope, they totally, they totally switched me up there and we got a great song instead. Um, so, so with the whole sequence getting cut, however, um, they, that, that meant the song Mama Looks Sharp, which was sung when Adams met the starving soldiers, didn't have a place in the show. Mm. So Stone really liked the song, uh, and, he, and he actually found a new place for it, which was to have the, 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 uh, the, 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 the messenger soldier sing the song in the hall. It, um, with Andrew McNair and the leather apron after Congress has left. For the night, yeah. For the day, exactly. And then the line that Peter Stone came up with to solve the cutting of the New Brunswick section was having Samuel Chase coming back from his adventure saying, you should have seen what happened. And that's all that gets talked about in that whole sequence. However, another big uh, thing that was cut was the Booze Land uh, song. That was uh, the big solo for Benjamin Franklin to sing. And with it being cut, Howard De Silva was very angry and was actually going to quit the show. Mm. So, they, so, so Ostro, the producer, quickly hired actor Rex uh, Everhart to take over for De Silva. And, 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 and um, one day in between shows, Howard De Silva was talking with his friend Alfred Drake uh, who, 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 if you don't know, was part of the original cast of Oklahoma uh, at a restaurant. And De Silva went on for 20 minutes complaining about how terrible the show was, how awful the director was. And then when he ran out of steam, Alfred Drake said, you know, Howard, when we did Oklahoma, you were one of the dumbest people I ever met, and you still are. Yippee. Uh, Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he then continued on saying, this is the best show you've ever been in, and this is the best show you'll ever be in. Um, and, then Sil- and, and then Silva, uh, uh, sorry, De Silva then said that his agent and lawyer were on their way to meet with Stuart Oster to get him out, and Drake then said, Howard, run, run down there and stop them, which he did. And so the creative team kept Howard De Silva in the role of Ben Franklin, however they... Uh, had Rex Everhart as his standby, just in case he pulled another stunt like that. He did the tour as well. There you go. He was Perfect. wonderful. He was divine. He was terrific. Okay, so there you go. So, 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 so clearly he, he was meant to play Ben Franklin, as Alfred Drake rightfully pointed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and then another thing that came from cutting this whole New Brunswick sequence was the creation of the song, The Egg. Uh, which which was inspired by the logo that had just been revealed to everybody, which was an eagle popping out of an egg with the British flag and, and the American flag being waved. And that and they felt they needed a song because after cutting that whole sequence, they were finding they were really short on musical numbers. So they created this song to open Act Two. 
Uh, okay, so then after Charlotte's in New Haven, uh, the musical then went to Washington, D.C. with all the cuts they had made and, uh, and, and with only one weekend to rework the show. Uh, so the reviews in Washington were coming in the same as the, as the reviews from New Haven, uh, which are finally coming in, and they, and, uh, and they were good in Washington, but they were not good in New Haven because New Haven just hadn't seen the progress that had been made on the show. But Washington, being the more recent city, was better for reviews, so, that, so they went with those. Uh, after the editorial trust, they made it to New York, and in the middle of a tech rehearsal, Howard De Silva suffered a minor heart attack. And this resulted in the creative team having Rex Everhart go on for him and, or sorry, the creative team wanted to put Rex Everhart on for him, but Howard DeSilva said, no, I will not go to the hospital. If, if, if I die, I die on stage. Stupid to the end. Yep. Stupid to the end. He said, he, he said, um, have the ambulance standing by. I'm going to open the show and then I will go to the hospital, which he did. After he made his, through opening night, the ambulance uh, was right outside the theater and took him away. And Howard, and then actually while Howard DeSilva was in the hospital recovering, Rex Everhart uh, went on for him and even had his performance preserved on, on the original cast album, which was recorded in DeSilva's absence, which is mm -hmm. why if you listen to the album, it is not DeSilva playing Ben Franklin, it is Rex Everhart. Mm -hmm. There we go. Uh, so the musical, oh, yeah, right? This show has some quite, quite, quite interesting history. Mm -hmm. uh, so the musical did open on Broadway with no advance uh, on March 16th, 1969 at the 46th Street Theater. Now the Richard Rogers Theater, where, as I said earlier, where Hamilton plays. So there we go. It is the home of these American history musicals. Um, the cast included William Daniels as John Adams, Howard Silva as Ben Franklin, Paul Hackett as John Dickinson, uh, who is the man from Pennsylvania, who is kind of the main antagonist of Paul the story. Paul Hecht. Paul Hecht, thank you. Yeah, so Paul Hecht as the antagonist, John, Dick John Dickinson, the man from Pennsylvania. You have Clifford David as Edward Rutledge, who serves as a secondary antagonist. Uh, you have Ken Howard as Jefferson, Virginia Westoff as Abigail Adams, and Betty Buckley as Martha Jefferson. Uh, following the opening night, there was a long line that went around the theater and all the way to 8th Avenue. Oster even received a telegram from, pa from Hal Prince, who had the musical Zorba playing next door at the Imperial Theater, and, he, and the telegram read, get your line out of my theater, congratulations. So there we go. Well done, Mr. Prince. Uh, suddenly, the show was well, that everybody thought was the dumbest idea became a big hit. It was nominated for five Tony Awards, winning three, including Best Musical, Best Featured Actor for Ron Holgate, and then Best Direction for Peter Stone. Uh, the production closed on February 13th, 1972, after 1,217 performances. During its three... right? Peter Hunt that yes. directed. Oh, Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Peter Hunt directed mm -hmm. and won the Tony for that show. Um, and then during his three-year run, it actually played in three theaters, including the St. James Theater, mm -hmm. the Majestic Theater, where the Phantom now plays, and then the 46th Street Theater, now the Richard Rogers Theater. 
So three theaters in three years. There you go. Uh, however, this musical in later years has come under uh, the, uh, the ire of historians for its historical inaccuracies. So, however, that being said, a valid argument is made that because con Congress was held in secrecy, there is no contemporary records on the debates. Had on the Declaration of Independence, ergo, the team had creative license to invent scenes and dialogue that were needed for storytelling purposes. Uh, however, some of the major historical inaccuracies that we should note, because this musical is not history, like, don't get me wrong, go actually go read a history book, people. Like, this is a great jump off point for you to start learning about this type of thing, but there are actual proper historical accounts of things. So, if you're uh, interested, for, yeah. Exactly. Like, the, the, this is meant to generate your interest. This isn't meant to be the one definitive historical account of this moment. Um, but that being said, so, the, so, 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 one of the main inaccuracies include the central departure uh, uh, and, um, and a separation of Great Britain was accomplished in two steps. The actual vote for independence was held on July the 2nd, and the approval of Lee's re um, resolution was held uh, later on down the road on, on, the, uh, on the 4th with the signing. So there were two separate days. There was a vote on the 2nd, and then the actual fighting over the wording of, of the declaration on the, on the 4th. So it wasn't this one big moment that, as it is in the show. But for drama's sake, they combine the two events because that makes life a lot easier and more dramatic. Uh, other things include uh, that the uh, that, 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 that the vote did not hinge on on the passing, or sorry, the removal uh, of the slavery clause. That was not one of the major kind of roadblocks as it is in the, is in the musical, uh, because in, in in real historical recollections. It wasn't Edward Rutledge who was the main uh, driver of this opposition. It was, according to Jefferson, opposed by numerous people of South Carolina and Georgia, as well as unspecified brethren of the North. So the North <laughs> was just as guilty as the South in, in, in the removal of, mm. of the freeing of, uh, of the slaves clause. But then, but that's why you get the, that song right exactly unspecified i love that someone's got to write a play called the unspecified brethren <laughs> <laughs> of the north <laughs> exactly uh other things include the fact they combined john and samuel adams who were both brothers in congress into being just john adams and the fact that john adams is, is described as obnoxious suspected and unpopular actually stems from a letter written 46 years later in, in 1822 after his unpopular presidency had colored uh, like, like his depictions. Like so, Richard III. What a bum exactly. that guy got. Exactly. exactly. So yes. So, so yes, the fact that they describe him in the show as being this unlikable figure of Congress that didn't come till much later down the line. But there we go. Those are some of the major historical inaccuracies that people have called out. Uh, the musical uh, has had life beyond its original run. It was produced with, with the uh, Encore City Center in concert from the March 30th to April 3rd of 2016. Gary Hines directed it. It, it starred um, Santino Fontana 
mm-hmm. as John Adams, John uh, Lacourette as Ben Franklin, John Benholman as Thomas Jefferson, Christine uh, Knoll as Abigail Adams, uh, Nikki Renee Daniels as Martha Jefferson, Bryce uh, uh, Pinkham as John Dickinson, Alexander Giamatti uh, as Edward Rutledge, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Jubilant Sykes as as uh, Richard Henry Lee. Uh, the musical was revived on Broadway in uh, 1997, and a revival is currently planned for spring 2021, featuring a cast of female, non-binary, and transgender-identifying performers and people of color. The production will be produced uh, 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 by... Cambridge, um, Massachusetts Regional Venue and Roundabout Theatre Company and directed by uh, Diana uh, Paulus. No. Why? This is a historical musical. Well, their argument is going to be Hamilton. But Hamilton that, is a historical that musical. That was specifically written that way. It was, mm-hmm. it was very specifically written um, for a diverse group of people to engage in that work. I think Hamilton is a a bit of a different conversation because it's about reclamation. Okay. And I think I think that's what Manuel Miranda was trying to do was to reclaim these characters. I mean, it's not historically accurate at all, obviously. No. No. But I think, you know, he's trying to dabble with history and almost reclaim it and rewrite it for for the possibility of what could happen. 1776 was not it is not written that way and i know what you mean yeah the point of this conversation is you need to have a really great argument if you're going to reconceptualize something yeah and if you want to look at it in a new way i understand that but you have to you have to be able to really back that up and go does this work? I mean, I've well, tried me... things and go, does this work? I don't know if it works. Maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. work. Maybe I won't touch this again. Right? But y- you, like that, you cannot, rewriting history is dangerous. Mm. And, and this, is, this is like performative allyship. You cannot cover and you cannot rewrite. As yeah. soon as you start doing that, we negate uh, the issues that have led us to this point, and we keep going in this cycle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have to just address it, and that's why I'm saying this: this idea of casting uh, like trans and uh, diverse people in this musical is—it just—it doesn't. It's rewriting history, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it, yeah. You, you can't. You we we must not do that. We must not rewrite history. We need to present history as it was so we can learn from it. Yeah, yeah. And keep perpetuating it. If we reconceptualize and sugarcoat, we are not going to take, we're not going to take anything away from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, poignant, the poignancy of casting diversely and then having the diverse cast sing molasses to rum mm-hmm. and cool, cool, considerate men loses it loses the point Mm -hmm. we need to see the inner workings of this brain 
this is part of the narrative that ended us in this problem that we are in today. And yet you want to mess with that and, and take away its, its validity. No, it's a, it's, it's not, it's, it's a no for me. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, write, write a counterpiece to it, write a counterpiece from, from the slave's perspective. Mm -hmm. There there are a lot of really phenomenal pieces of work out there that address slavery, you know, create something that can run in tandem with 1776. Mm -hmm. So you get altered perspective. I love that. I I feel like that's a great alternative. Like the, the conceit needs to not be about you. It needs to be augmenting what is already there Mm -hmm. if you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know enough about this piece, but I like, this is about writing the declaration of independence. And, you know, the statement is it was done by a bunch of white men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at our governments today. They're (laughs) predominantly a bunch of men, white men. Yep. So we, we're still in the cycle the problematic cycle. Yeah. And that's why I think 1776 is so relevant today, in, yes. especially in this administration. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. Personally, I don't know if this is going to, I don't know if this is the best musical to do this type of view. I think there are other shows that, 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 give, the, that give a better opportunity to redo a cast like this director has assembled. But that being said, have at it. What's her name? Diane, uh, Diane Paulus. Uh, Paulus. Yes, Diane Paulus. Diane Paulus, have at it. We'll see what becomes of this work you're doing. Who knows? There we go. So we'll have to see how that 2021 revival plays out with everything going on. So then, as Autumn alluded to, this, mu- this, this musical was made into a film in 1972. It was produced by Jack L. Warner with Hunt again returning to direct and Stone writing the screenplay. The film featured a number of original Broadway cast members, including William Daniels as Adams, Ken Howard as Jefferson, Howard De Silva as Franklin, uh, John Callum, who had who, who had been a Broadway replacement, uh, came on to play Edward Rutledge. Ron Holgate was, uh, was um, Richard Henry Lee. And Virginia Westoff was Abigail Adams. And so, once again, a lot of Broadway people came back. And you can tell, because when you watch the movie, they all can sing. Like, it actually sounds good. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound auto-tuned and fake. The musical received mixed reviews, as, as, as some critics cited it as being very stale and stagnant and boring and lacking dramatic energy. However, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Cinematography. However, it was lost to... Uh, Jeffrey um, Unsworth for Cabaret that year at the Oscars. So there you go. Uh, In the early 2000s, a director's cut of the film was released with the inclusion of a restored uh, cut verses from the songs Piddle, Twiddle, and Resolve, and he plays the violin. And the entire song of the cool, cool, considerate man was reinserted into, um, into the film after it was cut from the original version because President Nixon, he was friends with uh, Jack L. Warner and Nixon felt the song did not depict modern day Republicans in the best light. And because of that, he pulled his kind of tote with Jack L. Warner 
and he said, cut the song, and they did. And Jacko Warner on his deathbed told a friend that he, that was one of his most deepest regrets was having that moment cut from the film. However, the editor, while being told to shred the footage, kept the, uh, kept the, 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 the film reel and saved it so it could be restored into the film at a later date. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of scary that a president can say, cut this piece from your movie because... Are we surprised? Nixon did that. I, I'm sure that could be something that could be easily done today too. Oh, probably. And there you go. That is what I have for production history. So Autumn, I know that I suggested this musical to you. Yes. Do you have any other history with it? No. So, 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 so you watched the movie for the first time. That's right. That's it. Wow. I did see the touring production at the Royal Alex. Mm-hmm. And I have this, I have this story that yes. uh, I gave this, you know, I love this show and I saw it a few times and, and I gave the cast, you know, I, mm-hmm. I got to know the stage manager at the time, or maybe he was the company manager, Ben Krantz. Yeah. And at the end of the show, at the end of the show, it is the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And every one of the characters who signed that thing, every one of these actors signed the declaration in the handwriting of the character they were playing. No way. Yeah. So, and then they would sign it and there, yeah. So I got this letter in 1971 (laughs) And it says, Dear Lynn, we thought you would like the signed declaration of our final Toronto performance. We appreciate your Tootsie Roll pops and encouraging notes. Good luck, good health, and peace. Sincerely, Ben. And it was written on his notepaper, Ben D. Krantz. He was the company manager, stage Mm -hmm. manager, whatever. And I got this tube in the mail, and mm-hmm. in it was the signed Declaration of Independence, which is no framed, way framed in my bedroom. And you can see that they did, in fact, sign it as the characters they played would have signed it. It's not like the actors are signing it, you know? They're the, so their characters are signing it. And I just thought that was... Terrific. I thought that was wonderful. I love that. That's fantastic. I love that. That is, that, that is wonderful. Well, I came to this. I mean, as I said, it came from, uh, from me purchasing the album with Titanic in Peter Stone's uh, archive. Uh, from there, it just sat in my library till Autumn reminded me of it when we were doing Titanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I revisited it. And I, and, and I can see why critics now compare it to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And and yet I think this is a far superior musical to Hamilton, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And after rewatching the movie again, it's easily moved into my top 10 movie musicals of all time. We're into the top three songs of the show. Mm-hmm. So Lynn, why don't you kick us off? What is your first song of the show that, that would make your top three? Um, I would say, uh, sit down, John. I say vote yes, vote yes, vote for independence. Somebody open up a window. I say vote yes, sit down, John. Vote for independence. Somebody open up a window. Too, no, no, too many blinds, too many blinds. 
did not make my list. Because it establishes it. immediately the attitude and the aspect about uh, John Adams, the kind of sort of the good natured respectfulness of way, uh, in a way mm -hmm. of the song of mm -hmm. him. Uh, the second, uh, the, so that was my, do you want all three? Nope, nope, no, 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 just one for now. Just so sit down, John, I thought really established everything that we need to know about the guy, yes. the animosity, mm -hmm. the fact that it's him against them, mm -hmm. uh, and, and why they're so aggravated by this man. Yeah. Yeah. It, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it sets John up as the squeaky wheel and it also sets up the running joke throughout the entire play or musical about um uh, about the windows being open and too many flies and it's hot like hot it, like it just sets everything it's yeah. hot in philadelphia exactly it just sets everything up and i like the fact that they were smart to not have ben franklin in that song the mm -hmm. fact that they say he wasn't in congress that night because i feel if they had him in there like even the fact jefferson is in there i like i sometimes go i don't know if he should have been in this song because mm -hmm. he shows up later but I do love it. I think it is a really smart opening song. And I love the one part where it's, well, someone shot that man up. Never. <laughs> like, it's so great. Because it's the whole thing of the squeaky wheel of the world and everybody telling <clears throat> them to just sit down and, and stick with the status quo. And you mm -hmm. need people like John Adams who are going to come and shake these people up mm -hmm. because that's what you need to move things along. Like it's a great opening, like opening the show. Like you have the great opening joke of, how is it? Like, um, two men are a law firm, three or more are a Congress. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have that great opening monologue by Adams, and then it gets right into this song, and it's just funny. Like, I, there's humor in this. It is like beautiful. It's it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like it's almost Monty Python like the, uh, uh, some of the humor in the show but it's genuine like it's yes not, it's not clever for clever's sake like it's mm -hmm. honest he's right yeah two men make mm -hmm. a law firm and three men make a congress like yeah and he's like they're kicking their shoes off tables and they're all lazy and yes selfish. it's great mm -hmm. exactly exactly <laughs> you know it's you know it's a great Opening song. Well done, Lynn. That 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 easily would have made my fourth spot, but mm. there are three others that kind of bumped their way up. Autumn, what is your number one? I'm torn. I I'm between two. Okay. I am I am between two. So I am going to go with molasses to rum. Molasses to rum to slurp. What a beautiful waltz. You dance with us, we dance with you in molasses and rum and slang. Who sail the ships out of Boston, laden with Bibles and rum? Who drinks a toast to the Ivory Coast? Hail Africa, the slavers have come. New England with Bibles and rum. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That is part of my top three as well. Me too. Me and too. the reason why I chose it is because it just shows the cycle of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the problem mm-hmm. with politics as we know mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And yes. again, we, I, I, it's so interesting that we've now dubbed this thing performative allyship. Mm-hmm. like the left seeming so good but how good are they really like the question <laughs> there and all these yes. people posting all these statements right now but what what are you going to actually do mm-hmm. like holding forms and everything like that is great what are you actually going to do when it comes down mm-hmm. to how are you going to be the leader of change? Mm-hmm. So I find, I find that the South goes, well, you know what? Yep, we, we want slaves. But you know what? So do you. Because this is it's business. So it's so good. And he's calling yes. them out on their Band-Aid solutions, their, their mm-hmm. performative allyship. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much like... I, I almost prefer the South in this because they're honest. Yeah. They're honest. You might call them it, you call them whatever you want, but they're honest. And I, you, can, mm-hmm. you can have a conversation with an honest person, but you can't mm-hmm. have an honest conversation with someone that's layered in BS. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's why I like this song. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, they should have kept that clause in freeing all the slaves and abolishing slavery in the U.S. But Ben Franklin was right in this moment where he talks to, where he talks to John and says, "Listen, you like either lose the war over this clause or you lose the battle, but win the war of independence and get what you want." And it's an awful thing to say, but it's true. And this song is so good because you're right. It highlights the hypocrisy of the North where Rutledge calls them on it right away where he goes, you are a part of this triangle trade where the boats leave Boston, they go to Africa, they pick up the slaves and drop off their their Bibles and rum. And then they come back to the South. They drop the slaves off in the South and they sail back up to you and thus creates the triangle. And and, and like you've thrived off that business and don't tell me otherwise. And it ends with one of the great last lines, which is who stinketh the most. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. they all have blood on their hands. They're all dirty and, and, and complicit in, in, in this. Well, and I, I, and I, had, I had to stop the movie after this song. Cause the song came out of nowhere to me. I, I, like the song came out of this beautiful nowhere where we've had the cool, cool, considerate men. Then we have mama whatever with the soldier and then we have the egg and then and and then we have this song and this song totally left turns the show into a much darker tone a more serious tone and it's great because it brings strong validity to the show it's a perfect argument to have in this moment in the show well it also it's so interesting Mm -hmm. because you get molasses and rum but then you get bibles and yes, which brings in this idea of religion being this forced um, mm-hmm. entity that is the ultimate colonizer. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I think mm-hmm. yes. And you drop mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. and it, it challenges Christianity in a very mm-hmm. complex way. Yes. And I, I think it's interesting that they sold out. Mm-hmm. Right. Ultimately what, what is staggering is that politics is about selling out and about maintaining your status. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also love how in the music, it's not overpowering. It's the slow roll of underscore until you get to the uh, slave trade moment, auction moment at the end when Rutledge kind of goes off the deep end and kind of goes over the top. All right, gentlemen, let the auction begin. Gentlemen, do you hear? That's the cry of the auctioneer. Say, gentlemen, black gold, living gold, gold from Angola, Guinea, Guinea, Guinea. Blackbirds for sale. Ashanti. Evil, 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 evil. Look at the faces in the crowd, gentlemen. White faces. New England faces. Sea-faring faces. Faces from Nantucket. Boston, Boston, Boston. It has to be stopped. But until then... It's just slowly rolling music, and it's just and, and, and it's just like a triangle trade where 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 it's just this quickly quietly moving thing that nobody ever really addresses. It's just there <coughs> under the surface. And the fact this music came out in '69, which was at the height of the civil rights of the '60s, and you have this song where where predominantly white audiences had to sit in a theater and listen to this three, four minute song about calling them all out for being like part of the problem is great. Like Peter Stone and Sherman were so smart because they, because they, because they put it at the point in the show where audiences were hooked into the story and they couldn't leave and they had to sit in their seats and squirm and feel uncomfortable. There was one thing holding them up on signing it. And this was the clause. It's a perfect dramatic device. It is, it, it is, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's such a brilliant argument. Mm-hmm. And it the totally fact is a brilliant argument. That says, what's more important to you? That yes. that is even a choice. Yep. Is, yep. makes it my number, my number one pick. I have to agree. I have to agree. It's my number two. Lynn, what do you think of this song? I have it for number three. I love, okay. I love, that. I love that song, and it's chilling because Slaves mm-hmm. is the last one they mention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, molasses yeah. to rum to, and slaves. Yeah. We've and yes, the Bible, the Bible is in there. Great song. So yes, molasses to rum, that is easily one that all three yes. of us have. Okay, number three for me. Up. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so my number one, though, is one I don't think either of you will have on your list, but, yeah. it, but it is the Lees of Old Virginia. 
name is Richard Henry Lee, Virginia is my home. My name is Richard Henry Lee, Virginia is my home. And may my horses turn to glue if I can't deliver a few resolution on independence. For I am FFB, the first family in the sovereign colony of Virginia. Yes, the FFB. Hate that song to with a pack. Hate it. Hate it. Go ahead. Why? I, I love it. It's 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 a fun song for a minor character. Who cares? But at the same time, it's smart because it gets you invested in Lee and the plan that Benjamin Franklin set up, which is the which is the sneaky way of getting this the ball rolling. Because as Ben Franklin points out, that it won't the ball won't start rolling with. Um, with with John, you need somebody to kind of be a backdoor battering ram to get this thing through, and you have to get the audience invested in this plan. And the smart way they did it was with this really catchy, funny, hummable tune of the Lees of Old Virginia, mm-hmm. and it, and it's the and, and it's got great little rhymes about his horses being turned to glue, and that he won't sleep with his wife if he doesn't get this through. Like, and it's sung by this big bombastic kind of guy on a horse, very Gaston like. <coughs> Mm-hmm. Like and it's great, and 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 the fact that it's kind of and, and the fact you got all these great little rhyming here, like political Lee, financial Lee. Social Lee, political Lee, financial Lee, natural Lee, internal Lee, external Lee, fraternal Lee, eternal Lee. The FFB, the first family in the sovereign colony. Wife refuse my bed if I can't deliver, as I said, a resolution on independence. Spoken modestly, God help him. Oh, he will, John. He will. Like, he got all these great little fun little yeah. rhymes at the simple end. And the fact that John, it's simple minded fun, but the fact that Ben Franklin's smart enough to realize this is the guy that's going to get us okay. our, our, our way in. It's a smart way that, show, that shows what Ben Franklin's planning, the fact he's egging him on throughout mm-hmm. the song like just kind mm-hmm. of building them up to get this done and john adams and then it also the john adams where you see that he's this no-nonsense guy it solidifies that because throughout the whole song he's like dear god really like this is our battering ram this bonehead who calls me johnny like it totally works and the fact that like throughout the rest of the the next scene leading up to uh lee returning you're waiting for him to come back on stage and you're meeting all these other politicians you're waiting for like Lee to show back up and say, "We got the we we got the goods. We're a go to move forward with this plan." Mm. And 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 the writing pattern of this reminds me very much of Sondheim with that kind of pattery internal rhyming that they do. Oh god! And that and and, and, and that also reminds me of that classic kind of 1700s song Yankee Doodle, like the Yankee Doodle do 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 do. Like it's that same type of kind of northern like it's great and and it, it's a great pick-me-up song after the first two songs of the show because you've oh, had right. sit down johnny and you've had piddle twiddle and resolve which are more heavier but this is just a fun bit of you got to know who this guy is who's who's going to be their battering ram to get to get through the door and then and then you also got to set you also got to invest the audience so i think mm-hmm. it's a great bit of it fun is fun writing 
Yankee Doodle Dandy in a way. You're right. Yes. He's a vapid dandy. Yes, he is. That is what Lee is. And mm -hmm. he is, he's like the, he's the, he's the con job. Because exactly. He's, he's the pawn like, that. He's a pushover. Exactly. Like, exactly. I just can't get behind him because I, you know, he's a vapid dandy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Who cares? And, and, and the fact, and the fact that what's his name from Pennsylvania, the, the the main the main antagonist calls him out, saying, "This whole thing you're doing reeks of John Adams. Like this is totally John Adams's plot that they've just shoehorned in with this other guy that's more likable in Congress." It's great. It's such a great fun bit of song. Like, uh, like after watching it the first time, I left humming because I was like, oh, "Okay, like this actually is a great little." It's so much fun. It's, it's, it's a great bit of theatrical work there that they did. Mm. Once again, it's exposition, but told in a really fun, engaging way. Because mm. like the first few lines are, my name is Henry Lee. The Lee I, 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 my family are like the oldest family. Like it's very kind of just go on Wikipedia and read his bio, but it's put to music in a really fun way. Like that, that's, that's part of educational fun right there is, is that you learn some history while at the same time getting invested in the story. It's great. It's okay, Autumn. Rock's song in the show. Bingo. Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. All right, Autumn, what is your number two? Cool, cool, considerate men. number three. Lynn, is it on your list? It's on my no list. <gasps> I just Ooh. found it so, I found it boring. I, 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 the Lees of Old Virginia and Cool, Cool, Considerate Men are boring to me. They're just, I, I, I loathe them. I don't care. I'm not interested. Uh, it doesn't have the same resonance as the others do, but Funny, oh, totally opposite on this. Yeah. All right, but first, but first, Autumn, let's hear your thoughts. I first, and then I'll give mine. I think it's so funny that these, there's, you know, there's this drive towards independence, and yet you get this very uppity British sensibility coming out in the song. It's, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> For me, it's kind of, oh, it's a minuet. How interesting, right? To the mm -hmm. right, to the right, to the right. I just find mm -hmm. it very tongue-in-cheek. And them just mm -hmm. labeling themselves as the assholes. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they've set it up. They've set it yeah. up. <laughs> but then they mm -hmm. keep going back. And they keep saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which again goes back to, mm -hmm. we are the pious the good mm -hmm. right like 
Mm. We uphold a certain standard. We will not have any, mm. you know, degradation mm. come to this new land. And it's all, it's really just, for me, it just shows their arrogance and uh, their selfishness. And it's right out there in a minuet. And yeah. I love that. I love that there's this kind of tongue firmly in cheek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. And uh, they're cool. It's kind of interesting. Uh, we're cool, cool, considerate men. And then you get the other cool song in West Side Story, which is the complete opposite. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say a more interesting song in West Side Story because they're trying to, yeah. you know, but this is, they are cool and slightly yes. heartless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And entitled. And they're, they're wearing it as a badge of honor. This song could actually be the theme song for, you know, the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. or yes, the Mitch McConnell's and Lindsey Graham's under Andrew Shear. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> they look like robots, so you kind of go, "I buy it." I totally. This it is a perfect song for a perfect group of people. Mm -hmm. Do I like them? I no. Well, you shouldn't like them, but. But, but but it's a very it's a, it's a song that's really smart. Like I love the song. It works on so many levels. Like it tricks the audience right away because it starts with that oh say can you and that automatically gets the audience going oh we're gonna get a bit of the American anthem here a little, little bit of patriotism and then it goes but then it changes to oh say can you hear what I hear and then and then that, and then it takes the right turn right into the song. Oh, say, do you see what I see? Congress sitting here in sweet serenity. I could cheer, the reason's clear. For the first time in a year, Adams isn't here. And look, the sun is in the sky. A breeze is blowing by. And there's not a single fly. I sing Hosanna, Hosanna. Which is them playing off the fact that up on the tally board, to them, the right means no to independence. But we as modern po like people in politics know the right means conservatism, republicanism. Like it's a total double entendre there that oh, yeah. totally works on so many levels. And it totally captures that still modern political ideology that the right is more focused on self-made self-promotion big business exactly correct no, it's more of that and, and the, the thing that i find striking about this song is mm -hmm. you you understand you kind of go oh i get it i don't agree with you yes. but i understand your mindset I and that's important. It is important because if we can start conversations where we really try to understand the other perspective, that is where empathy can begin. That is when, the, yes. when change starts to happen. 
And this song leads to the Dickinson not signing and mm -hmm. leaving, but fighting for his country. I find that it sets up that complexity and we, we mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong in this. There's just really great argument. Yes. And you kind of go, ah, ah. I get not, you. I would not I make that it. choice but I understand your choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I also will say the fact that they sing the line Hosanna also reminds me of JC Superstar because we have a whole song called Hosanna where it's all about Jesus entering Jerusalem and them seeing the praise of this savior and the fact that they think they are the saviors of this country, that they are these cool, cool, considerate men. They are these godlike figures that are that are that are that are that are moving things along and and it also has the great question which is protecting the possibility of becoming rich versus facing the reality of being poor and they talk about that and it's such an interesting question of what would society like better would they like having the the carrot dangled in front of them forever or or, or having the carrot taken away and people just having to live with where they are in life it's such a fascinating question that gets posed in the middle of this minuet moment. And then the song ends on that perfect button that's done by um, McNair where he goes, how would you like to try and borrow a dollar from one of them <laughs> as they all leave? And it's, a, and it's such a great kind of button to, this, to that song. But it's such a great song. I love it. Like I, I've listened to it so many times now. It is so fun and catchy. And, and you're right, it's scary when, it's, it's almost like when you watch Parade or listen to Parade and you start siding with the Southerners who are, who are about to lynch Leo Frank. It's that same type of thing. on purpose. I'm very mm -hmm. convinced that he did that. Like uh, Jason Robert Brown, it, it, very clever in that mm -hmm. musical. What, now it's one of my favorite musicals. Mm -hmm. Very clever because mm -hmm. you do, you get this, that, that, beautiful beautiful song the old red hills of home mm -hmm. so oh i get it and i think mm -hmm. that's what good theater is supposed to do it's supposed to make us leave the space that collective space going oh oh i understand two different sides now how mm -hmm. am i going to have conversations about that <sighs> but most people, you know, are cool, cool, considerate men <laughs> and walk away uh, refusing to continue the conversation. And exactly. Like that's, you put it out yeah. there and how do we mm -hmm. continue the conversation? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's, there has to be empathy on all sides. We cannot alienate one another if we're going to move forward. Mm -hmm. in we have to work together. So that's what these musicals, like this and Parade, both do very, very well. They go, ah, here it is. Here are two sides. Here are two perspectives. How can you use this to make a better world? Yep. Well said. Well said. Lynn, what is your number two? Because we've, we've kind of diverged on you. I think you have a totally different list than Autumn and I. My number two is a combination, I think because it's presented as combination, is Piddle Twiddle and Resolve. 
You see, we piddle, twiddle, and resolve Not one damn thing do we solve Piddle, twiddle, and resolve Nothing's ever solved In foul, fetid, fuming, foggy, filthy Philadelphia Yours, yours, yours. Come soon as you can to my cloister. I forgot in the feel of your hand. Soon, madam, we shall walk in Cupid's Grove together. And we'll fondly survey that promised land. Okay, so I love, you know, they, they are, they, they meld together. So it's the personal mm -hmm. of yours, yours, yours between Abigail Adams and John Adams, mm -hmm. in which the sensual human aspect of him and her and their marriages is, is brought up. And also Piddle Twiddle and Resolve, what they have to contend with, you know, on, in his political life and mm -hmm. what he is dealing with i thought that it it established it so beautifully the language of the love love song is sensual and personal and open and vulnerable and piddle twiddle and resolve is perceptive and and sharp thinking and um i just i love I love both of, uh, you know, I, I, and it's presented as if it's a continuation mm -hmm. uh, of the life of this guy. So I, that's my number two. Yeah. It also humanizes him, right? Because yes. you see him only being the, <laughs> like there was, there is this, um, there is, it, it brings him back into another version of himself, right? Yeah. Get to see mm -hmm. another side of him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, not fighting the man, but, you know, questioning himself, mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. It really, it gives a different layer to him. Mm -hmm. I think, is, I think what, what Stone has done with the book of this is, and, and, and Sherman in a way as well, um, Sherman Edwards, I, they've layered in so much specificity, character specificity. Mm -hmm. uh, which is is brilliant like it's brilliant writing in that way it's really like we get to see whole people mm -hmm. we don't get to just see one version so I yeah that's a, that's a great choice Lynn. I love it and I think Piddle Tool and Resolve could be sung in, in Washington right now. Mm -hmm. That song is so true Piddle Twiddle and Resolve not one damn thing do we solve like it's so smart, and the, and and the fact they have piddle and twiddle as lyrics, mm -hmm. which is like, when else are you ever going to get those w lyrics in a song? Is so smart, and the fact that yours, yours, yours sets up this great theatrical device of them 
talking to each other through these letters and yet they're never actually on stage together like actually like in a, in, in the same physical spot mm-hmm. like you know, I, 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 she is off in their home on the farm and he is here but yet you're getting these beautiful tender moments between these two people that is off that that that, that is so you're right it's very humanizing it brings mm-hmm. it, it it makes him a much more human character who who you see has fears and fallibility and he's and he has and he gets angry and upset at the world and, and he needs that grounded person to help him and abigail is a great foil to him for that mm-hmm. and it's wonderful it's great lynn great choice and then your third song was molasses to rum correct yes yes awesome and then autumn you're and and and, and we've done your three as well no. or no or, or no or no what's the third one for you so what's the third, third one? one is the egg. egg what egg america the birth of a new nation we're waiting for the chirp 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 of an eaglet being born waiting for the chirp 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 on this humid monday morning in this congressional incubator god knows the temperature's hot enough to hatch a stone let alone an egg ah ah very good i love the egg because the fact that they're trying to figure out and it's not so much the song, the egg, it's the container that it's wrapped in the conversation before, mm-hmm. beforehand, where they're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Jefferson wants the dove because yeah. it's a symbol of peace and Franklin wants the, the turkeys, you know, yeah. and then, you know, you get this, you get um, Adam saying, no, it has to be the eagle, like this dominant thing with talons, this, and, like you could not have chosen a better uh, bird to represent America than the eagle. Mm-hmm. That's right. A scavenger, yeah. a bully, yep. a predator, yeah. and yeah, a, a fighter, etc. And it's it was so ironic when you hear it for the first time, and it's perfect. It's perfect. It is. Yeah, it is. But you can also see this idea. Uh, you can think in John Adams' mind at the time that he's like, okay, the eagle, because we need to assert ourselves apart mm-hmm. from England. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how, can we, how can we assert dominance or mm-hmm. our own independence if we've got a dove or a turkey? Yeah. Like there's something very rational to it. And now yeah. it's this symbol of <laughs> world domination, right? Exactly what the man said it would be. Yeah. yeah and it's also the fact that each of the birds they choose represent the men like john adams is an eagle he is this scavengering talon-based bird that will attack somebody well ben franklin is totally a turkey this person of nutrients and and, and great wisdom and advice and this homegrown body this kind of rotund kind of man that kind of just waddles along and kind of, kind of gives wisdom and then Jefferson, who who actually, in at least in this version of him, is depicted as very dove-like, this very peaceful, tranquil man who just wants John Adams to leave him alone and let him go be with his wife. Like he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't want to do this, but he's kind of coerced into writing the Declaration. But so yeah. like so like each of their choices represents the men who 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 who, 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 who 
like it's so it's such a smart double-edged song that totally fits and the fact that john adams actually tricks ben franklin into agreeing with him in in the song is even better that's once again that it's that that, that, that it's john adams once again pulling the fast one uh, on ben franklin which once again shows that cunning eagle-like quality that that is john adams yeah but it also shows a maternal side to them we don't yes. get a lot of women in this piece mm -hmm. so they, they say um here we are a farmer a lawyer and a sage a bit gouty in the leg you know it's a uh it's quite bizarre to think that here we are playing midwives to an egg like there's something, you know, about them waiting in the delivery room for this thing to hatch. Yes. And that kind of, it's, it's interesting. Like there is a, there is a maternal, um, one might uh, say, softer quality, fem a more mm -hmm. feminine waiting. You know what I mean? Like they, in this, this song, they're not, you know, fighting, yeah. but waiting. And I think that's yes. it's very interesting. Like they're they're almost dove-like in a way, in mm -hmm. their waiting. It's if a great way to open act two. It's, yeah. it's a perfect kind of because because we open with, with with us hearing the bit of the declaration being read off stage, and then it's just waiting to get back into the bigger story. But you got these three main characters just sitting and waiting for this egg as it is. It's great. It, it, it was a great substitute sound for that whole New Brunswick sequence. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I just love that, the chirp, 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 chirp on this humid Monday morning in this congressional mm -hmm. incubator. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great. <laughs> and it is, it's that, it's that waiting process. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is, um, waiting for the big boys to make their decisions when you mm -hmm. think how how that's so relevant all the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed are in charge of the many yes agreed no that's great okay so now we move on to the top three songs we either would often skip or cut entirely lynn you revealed two of yours which was the cool cool considerate men uh -huh. And um, it, and um, the leaves of old Virginia. Uh -huh. uh, I only have two on my list. Uh -huh. uh, and Autumn, do you have any? I just have. Well, I have two. I agree with Lynn on the leaves of old Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a bit hokey, and I uh -huh. don't. I think it's a trope that you don't need. But okay. I understand why it's there, and I understand why you. Mm -hmm. And I like, you know, <laughs> of course, Master. that song has made my, um, my, um, long cutting list. <laughs> Look at you're one of your favorite musicals as a producers. So I can't, I know you by now. I'm not surprised. <laughs> you know, there's always gotta be at least one song. What is the song that I like the least in this musical? And it's going to be on Mackenzie's hit list, <laughs> yes. but I do have one other song, mm -hmm. which is the violin song. That is on my list too. Why? When is it on your list? Number one. There you go. He plays the violin. Say I died. 
loving bride, loving wife, loving life, for it was high, 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 in a Why do you need it? It's not. Why? It's not needed. You don't need the character. You don't need the character. She no. does nothing. She introduces yeah. nothing, and yeah. she brings in a piece of information about a character we don't see that much of. Yes. You know, there's exactly. no relationship between the two of them. So why are you bothering me? Yeah. Exactly. Get rid of her. Exactly. It also is creepy. It's it's a creepy song too because it's these two older men flirting and trying to get like sex stories off this younger woman like it's creepy like just watching the at scene in the movie i was like this is kind of really gross and creepy considering the fact that ben franklin was known to sleep with a lot of women married and unmarried so mm. the fact he's there kind of trying to woo martha it's like Ooh, i don't like this i mean i do like the fact i do like the way the song is written i think that is a very smart written song with the way that it's written in the way of a violin with the way that's written in, in fifths mm -hmm. and the fact, the fact you have that great key change at the end and the rhythmic way that it ties with the bowing i think that's a smart but overall the song is pointless you don't need it you I don't think, need that song i i think you know keep abigail in her letters yes, yes that's all you need that's all but, you need um uh there were no women in congress we don't need them in this narrative goodbye nope yeah done Bye, Martha. Martha. Sorry, Martha. So long. You're out. You're out. Martha, You're out. goodbye. Yeah. Unnecessary. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have a confession. I fell asleep. <laughs> that was the point where I fell asleep watching it. I'm like, oh, God. Here we go. Wake me up when something interesting is happening. <laughs> I... Well, that's where the story's focused. And the fact you have this random song after a night of 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 uh, of bedroom bliss as it were between i don't need him to go home. jefferson and his wife i need i need him to say i had a great time with the wife last night next yep let's let's like i don't mind the first part of the scene where we're where, where like we're like um adams brings her to to pennsylvania to kind of as he says unblock jefferson which i'm like that makes total sense great but we don't need this follow-up song after that moment just have that scene and then and then have him showing up with, with like the declaration. The the show is very long. It is very long. I think long. there can be some editing. I think you can I think so, the whole too. thing and just figure out another way through it. Period. Yeah. I have one that so besides the violin, my other one was Mama Look Sharp. Mama, come find me before I do. Beneath 
maple tree. Oh. <laughs> I broke Lynn. Hi, everyone. Are you okay, Lynn? I, I broke Lynn. Oh. <laughs> it's about, it's everything that they supposedly are fighting for and don't know it. I love yeah, that song. Oh, I don't. love that song. I it's don't. The, it's the humanist aspect of what they're actually fighting for. Look sharp. I'm dying in, in war. It, it started in war. The, 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 the people coming to America was because they were, they were at war with their government and they were treated like shit. And so they come to this new country and it's continuing on. War, war, war. And this boy is singing as he's dying. I love that song. I do too. Go ahead. I don't. I Fair enough. Don't. Fair enough. I find it, I, I find it's, it's a very weird way to end act one. Act one should end with the cool, cool, considerate men with the right walking out. And that's a great kind of spot to end it. And then you have this weird tale song about like mama looks sharp. And then it's like, if you want it, then give it to someone else like give it because the soldier i don't have any investment in this guy this guy's just literally walked on stage and dropped letters off and that's it that's all i have from him i don't mm. have anything that's like I, I could either have it as a moment where like john adams comes back from new brunswick and he's recollecting to people saying i've talked to the soldiers and this is what they said to me mm -hmm. like this is this is something that i heard around the campfire so we get another kind of moment reflecting back on this adventure he's had like give it to somebody who actually has some weight like like, you know what, make this the opening to act two and have it be John Adams talking to Jefferson about, about this moment to remind them of what they're fighting for before, before, they go, before they go back and start editing the declaration. Something else. Like, it just didn't I, fit. Like, I, I just under, went. I understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but I think they wanted the everyman perspective. Mm -hmm. People in Congress are not everyman. They are no. rich elitists who came to this country to own more, yeah. right? Even John and Samuel Adams. Absolutely. All loaded. And yes. this poor little messenger kid whose family and is dying, friends are dying in the fields. I think, yeah. I think it's relevant because we don't get that perspective. We get this debate mm -hmm. and we do. He, he, he brings it back to say, this is what we are fighting for. Yes. That I am, I am, you know, part of the reason. Mm -hmm. Which is fair. I totally get that. I just go, I, I don't care for, for it. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't get invested in this, in, in that way. Like, I, I, I get it, but it comes at such a weird part in the show where the story is now so far along into this other plot that to have this random everyman song show up at like at the end of act one where this is a long show i'm ready to go to get take my pee break and then we got a mama look sharp it's like come on seriously like yeah fine i, I get it, i get it peter stone yeah. loved this song and he and he had it in another part uh, of the show with with the new brunswick sequence and he cut it and he found another spot to put it i just think there's a better way if you're gonna have this song go about it in a different way because right now it's just not doing it for me and i can do without it mm -hmm. i think you could cut the song and you could still get the bigger picture because you're still getting all these letters from washington 
throughout the show detailing of what's happening in the world. So you are getting this every man's story just from, from George Washington. Because I don't know, like for me, like I, I, I just remember that was the part of the movie where I fell asleep. Hmm. Was during Mama Look Sharp. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's Mama Look Sharp, everybody. Time for your pee break. Time to like go make myself a sandwich. Time to like close my eyes for for two minutes for this moment. It just it it, it doesn't it doesn't have a good melodic line to me. It just kind of meanders a bit. Like like if they gave it a bit stronger of a more memorable melodic line. Then by all means, but yeah, it just kind of manders along. Either way, that was my number two for cut songs. Lynn, do, do you have a third, or is it just, or or, or no, sorry, you had, or sorry, you had violin, leads, and 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 cool, um, cool consider, consider it, it yeah. Men. Okay, so you had your three. Autumn, you only had two. Yeah. So what's the other one then? I don't. Oh, 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 sorry. I'm oh, sorry. So what's the leads? Okay. Wow. So that's that's great for all of us then. I mean, out of thirteen songs. That actually is what? Not many that actually we would cut. That's actually pretty good. That's actually a good ratio. All right. So now we get on to the final part of the show, which is should this musical be revived today? Does it still have a place in musical theater culture? Autumn, yes. kick us off. Yes. Yes. And more yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it is relevant. I think it's more relevant mm-hmm. than Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, do them side by side and then create like conversation pods where people can talk about them mm-hmm. and get, you know, have books that share the historical accuracies should be a yes. whole thing. We should be, we should be learning from history. We should be learning from mm-hmm. our mistakes. We should be examining why the clauses were taken out and how mm-hmm. it has affected the nations mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, I think it's a, I think it's a really stunning piece of uh, writing from Stone's mm-hmm. perspective and 1000%. I think more Americans, and you know what? I think it, we need to start listening to each other. That is the mm-hmm. thing that is really the takeaway of this is the right and left, they fought and they fought and they fought, but then they really just started to listen to each other and figure out a path forward collectively. And um, the one person that didn't sign it still went and fought. Yep. And I think there's a great, I think it really um, allows for altering perspectives. And I think that's mm-hmm. okay. There's no judgment on those. Mm-hmm. And I, so I don't think there's really an antagonist or a protagonist in this piece. No, I mean, I agree. Dickinson is very much, I, I, I well, because, I will say he's almost like a bit of an anti-hero because he has valid arguments. What they are doing is technically treason. So they can mm-hmm. easily get hanged for it. Like, it, sure. it's very valid. Like, he, uh, uh, he's not mustache-twirling bad guy. He is very much almost like a Javert of the story where he is just playing the opposite side of the coin to John yeah. Adams, is John Valjean. And I think Javert is one of the most, for me, one of the most likable uh and more uh, sympathetic characters. I love Javert. Agreed. I agree too. I love Javert too. There we go. He had a he had a role. He was upholding the law. Dickinson was upholding yes. the law. Javert was upholding the law. Exactly. Period. Exactly. They were rule followers. Yes. Exactly. Well said, Autumn. I'm a rule follower, mm-hmm. and I love her. Am I a rule <laughs> follower? 
Absolutely. No, no, you, you, you're the John Adams to Sarah's Dickinson. 1000%. But that, but see, that's how things get made is, is you need those two sides to come together and we work make, together to create. We make good declarations of independence. Mm-hmm. See, there you go. <laughs> love it. Together. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Independence together, we call it. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Lynn, what do you think? Does this musical still have a place today? Should it be? Know. Well, should it be revived? I'm not so sure that it has any relevance about getting along, independence, uh, finding your way, being kind to people, being true. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has a place. And I agree totally with Autumn. More than Hamilton, it, ha- it says so much about mm-hmm. where that country came from and why it was formed and the, the, the people involved in it and, and, and what have they learned since then besides nothing. Mm-hmm. 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 Very, very true. I think it is totally, totally relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's respected, if the whole point of it is respected and not try to impose mm-hmm. uh, what's been going on in our world, why can't this musical uh, be a window of, of the world that we live in now mm-hmm. without having to impose anything in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think it's very different from like... You know, I just want to end with the idea that I don't even think we can compare this with Hamilton. No, absolutely not. It's a reimagining with, I think, the purpose of reclaiming history from a different perspective. I don't think, my problem with Hamilton is that it is being taught as historical accuracy in school systems. And it's wrong. It is. And that is wrong. And I don't think... I don't think that that is the narrative. I don't think you can learn from that by covering up the past. I think we need to go through the past um, to to actually make change. Like we need to learn from our lessons. It's like kids with consequences. If you don't have a consequence, what do you know what I mean? Like you, yes. Mm-hmm. Here's the consequence. Here's what's going to create active change. But I do think I, I do think it's interesting that there is another history musical out there that is about reclamation in a new way. I just don't mm-hmm. think it's be being t- like taught as rote because it's not. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. It's, it's it's not that. Mm-hmm. But I do I don't want to knock Hamilton. I think it it serves a different purpose. Mm-hmm. This is oh really pretty close to historical his historically accurate it's written by a history yeah. teacher mm-hmm. yes. on. um some of it's been altered but you know the the premise is very true to form and mm-hmm. i think we need to learn from this we we need to learn we need to look at perspectives and mm-hmm. how how we can how can how we can move forward from that agreed I think it's, I, I do think it's very striking that the clause that is struck in this musical could be a great catalyst for conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have to agree with both of you. I think this musical, well, obviously it's getting a Broadway revival in 2021. We've talked about that. Either way, I do think, I, I do think this has a place today because I agree with both of you where this needs to be done in the White House 
in the Congress, in the Senate, to remind people of where we came from and how we haven't moved forward far enough yet, mm-hmm. and that we need to keep working and improving ourselves. And this needs to be done. Uh, so I agree. This is a fantastic show that I'm so happy we did. And uh, I think, yeah, I absolutely think we did, that this show is a great <laughs> conversation starter and that, and, and that people need to see it to discuss these bigger questions that it brings up. Mm-hmm. And- I think I never would have discovered this show without Titanic. So mm-hmm. Titanic is fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> if it led me to this, great. There you go. <laughs> Autumn's begrudgingly giving Titanic some praise. That's it. <laughs> that's the only praise. Love it. Okay, so that that's it for this episode. Uh, <laughs> we thank you all for listening. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Mr. Brody Weld, our wonderful theme music composer. Uh, he has his. Uh, 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 single tracks out that you can go listen to such as C'est la vie, Home Decor uh, so be sure to go give those a listen, you can find him on Father Flozis on music platforms including Apple Music Spotify, Bandcamp where he is actually taking all the proceeds from Bandcamp and donating to Black Lives Matter as because uh, he, he goes as, a, as somebody who's rapping and, and does, and does hip hop music uh, this was not my original genre. This came from somebody else, from another culture. So I'm taking the proceeds from Bandcamp and donating them to Black Lives Matter. So good on you, Brody. A great, uh, a great solution there to that. Lynn, where can people find you and your reviews? Blackandletter.com. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and we will say, because we have reorganized your appearance schedule, you do have one more episode coming that we've already recorded. Uh, for this season, but this will be your second of three appearances in season two, mm-hmm. and you, and you already have have been scheduled in for season three and four. Mm-hmm. So we do have you coming back in the very near future, so people can continue right. to hear our lovely three uh, a three part debate. Uh, but uh, right, exactly. Um, but you can follow us at Before the Downbeat on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we now also have a Patreon that you can donate to on a monthly basis. And in return, we'll give you movie musical commentaries. Maybe you'll make Autumn and I watch Les Mis. Um, we also can watch 1776 and do a live commentary on 1776. We have to figure um, out how to do live commentaries. <laughs> we're working on that. We're working on that. We're working on that. We, we, do, we do have deleted scenes uh-huh. up on our Patreon as well that you can listen to and that uh, features all types of good things such as our discussion all about Betty Buckley. Uh, <laughs> so be sure to head over to our Patreon and listen to that. Uh, and uh, you can also just check in for our top 10 lists, our monthly theater news reviews, all that type of good stuff on our Patreon. So head over there and, and if you donate, you'll get all those goodies. Um, and then Autumn, where can they find you? Autumn DM Smith, Facebook, Instagram, or the company name, Littlewood Smith. Uh, And uh, there will be an exciting announcement coming out on the Littlewood. Oh, I could say it now because it will already have been announced. Uh, Yes, this will be coming out mid-July. Benefit uh, online reading of the Laramie Project. 
for Soka Pride. Lovely. Soka Pride. So love that. Yeah. Cast of 16. Gonna be very exciting. Mm -hmm. Delving into that piece again. Yeah. Great. So wonderful. Join us. Wonderful. Join us all over the world. July Absolutely. July 24th. Put that in your calendars, everybody. July the 24th for the live reading. Yes. And I just want to say, uh, happy Canada Day. Happy uh, Independence Day. And Mm -hmm. as we go forth uh, in our celebrations with fireworks, et cetera, and all of our red and white and red, white, and blue things, um, Mm -hmm. everyone go pick up a book uh, about um, the historical... uh, Places that we have landed on as mm-hmm. um, uh, white people and colonizers, yes. and figure mm-hmm. out what the land was uh, before we uh, occupied it. Yes, and the people who came before us, because you know, it starts with that conversation. Mm-hmm. Agreed, 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 agreed. And you can find me on social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Look for the ginger guy. In the photo, you'll find me really easy. Uh, and from there, everybody, we thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Uh, and until then, have a great, safe uh, week. Stay healthy, stay inside. We're still at a, at a COVID. Please be wise, wear your masks. We don't want the second wave to be worse because we want to get this world moving again because we all want to get back into seeing musical theater in theaters, yeah. not on Zoom. No. Uh, but uh, until then, everybody, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Sit down, John. Sit down. <laughs>